0: At a time like this, it's easy to see why local news is so important and why that news should be free for everyone who needs it to be. Your support of KCUR makes this essential reporting possible. If you can, please donate. KCUR.org slash give. And thanks.
1: Good morning and welcome to -to up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. This morning, a look at the world of sports. What are sports journalists supposed to do in the age of COVID-19? Later, Gina Coffin will be in to discuss the digital divide in this era of a coronavirus and how the current crisis might further separate the haves from the have-nots. But first, the news and the latest on Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas's ban on gatherings of more than 10 people and new restrictions on restaurants and bars. With us is UR Sam Zeff. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Sam, what's the latest on all this? Well, it's not just Quentin Lucas.
2: It's not just Kansas City. That's right. Uh, this ban on gatherings of more than... And Ten people. They're calling it the Core Four now: Kansas City, Jackson County, Johnson County, and Wyandot County. Looks like bars and restaurants. If that's what you frequent, uh, you're going to have to find uh, something else to do. Uh, as you know, Steve, the news is breaking late, and it's being sh- it's a, like a tsunami being shot out of a cannon. Trying to uh, trying to keep up with this. Not long after that ban, uh, we heard about schools. Uh, schools in, uh, in the Kansas City area, all 14 districts, those are going to be uh, out until at least April 3rd. Right after that, the six Johnson County school districts also decided to stay out until at least April 3rd. That's a Friday. They'll reevaluate at that time, uh, having schools closed, restaurants and bars being closed uh, could extend for weeks, if not months.
1: This is going to be a new day for a lot of folks in Kansas City, Sam.
2: Boy, it sure is. Uh, you know, it seems to me that restaurants that do a big takeout business may be able to uh, may be able to maintain. We just heard this morning uh, that the company that owns Hen House grocery stores looking to hire displaced restaurant workers. So people are mobilizing. There's things that we're, people are trying to do to mitigate the damage to this. But as you know, Steve, we're very on in this process. How it's all going to play out is a mystery at this point.
1: You know Sam you mentioned the four core counties. You did not mention Clay and Platt counties and I can't help but wonder where are they in all this this whole mix here.
2: Well that's another mystery and we're looking into that. We don't know what is happening in Clay or Platt counties right now. Uh, We assume that the school districts up there because they are part of the uh, Kansas City uh, uh, city limits are following what, uh, what we heard yesterday. As for bars, restaurants, other retail establishments uh in those two counties north of the river looking into that right now
1: yeah i was going to say we're trying to reach out to officials up there to get up to speed on what's happening there that's case you are sam zeff sam always appreciate it my pleasure now a conversation about the world of sports and sports journalism in the, in the time of COVID-19. Joining us are Vahe Gregorian. He's a sports columnist for the Kansas City Star. Vahe, nice to see you again. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks. Marlia Campbell is a sports director for WIBW-TV in Topeka. She happens to be a former up-to-date intern, and she joins us via Skype from her home in Topeka. Marlia, nice to have you. And also with us is uh, Greg Eklund, who covers sports for KCUR. Greg, good morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Marlee. I can't help but wonder if there isn't a certain level of panic for a sports columnist uh, and sports reporters and sports uh, broadcasters at a time like this when there's no sports to cover.
3: <laughs> you know, I think this is an unprecedented time for everyone, um, and certainly for us, with you know, nothing to cover in our <laughs> job description. But I, I think... You know, to the contrary of that, it's a bigger time for sports journalism than ever. You know, I mean, the games aren't happening, but uh, sports is playing a critical role in you know, drawing attention to something huge going on in our country right now. Um, so it's a big time to, uh, you know, get to tell these stories.
1: Vahe, you're a columnist for the Kansas City Star. Is there any sense of panic as you go about doing what you're doing right now?
4: I, you know, I don't think panic's the right word, Steve. I, I do think, as we were chatting earlier, there's a little bit of the sense of call to action for the for the paper in general, but I think... We feel that even in sports. I can tell you that this week and next seem pretty full. I I feel like there's a lot of stuff that uh, we're either uh, in the middle of or trying to get into the middle of about how people in the sports world are handling this. Some examples that we find useful for uh, others, I think even, I hate to, I don't want to be Pollyanna in any way, but I do think there's some inspiring things to be taken from the way some people in sports are handling this. So, um, it certainly athlete's is a disor- making
1: donations to absolutely testing and that kind of thing. Yeah, right?
4: absolutely. And, and, and look, even I'm sure you guys have discussed this, but it's it's pretty evident that the tipping point on on the proper reaction to all this was Wednesday, last Wednesday when the NBA shut down. That really set off the avalanche in sports world, which I, I think quite arguably you could say precipitated gov- uh, U.S. government reaction anyway. It certainly preceded it. And I think created a groundswell that's been pretty important.
1: Have you uh, ever been able to imagine a
4: moment like this in your career? No, I mean, this and, is just crazy. Absolutely, you know? and and I think look, this is this is kind of funny, and and but I think we've all gone through this in in different ways. It almost seems trite now. A week ago, I we're we're writing about or talking about. Uh, oh, there's a possibility they might they might have to play these tournaments with no. No fans in the stands. Like, how <laughs> fascinating will that be? And then a day later, it's like, well, that's pretty old news. Yeah. And I do think we have this constant sort of cascading feeling of – uh y- Stuff just falling around us that we can't even envision a day before.
1: Yeah. I can't help but point out that your boss, Jeff Rosen, the sports editor at the Star, wrote a column that ran in the paper on Monday that said this, Vahe, Unsure, unsettled, unknown. There's no playbook for how a sports department is supposed to operate when the sports are seemingly gone. Sounds about right.
4: That does sound about right. And one thing we were also chatting about was th- that feeling of disorientation right for for all of us but in our jobs specifically on sunday uh, i i ended up just sort of driving around trying to figure out what what to do with myself thinking there might be some stories out there i drove by a playground that i sometimes go uh, shoot hoops on and you know nobody there of course it was 37 degrees um so i didn't want to overstate that symbolism <laughs> yeah. um but then, I really, I was thinking, I I think every Sunday, Selection Sunday since 1989, we've been in that frantic mode of, okay, can't wait to see what happens, and, yeah. and let, let's get going. And in this case, I'm like, well, should I drive over to Naismith's grave? I, what, <laughs> what should I do? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Greg Eklund from KCUR, I'm wondering about you, too. You report for this public radio station, but you also work sports for other outlets. How is all this changing your life?
5: Uh a great deal, I bet. Um, mainly on the TV production side, and I have a lot of friends who work in TV production. And when, when there are no events, there is no work. Yeah, and uh, there are a lot of friends of mine who are just in that waiting mode, like all of us are. And and uh, and I'm sure there's a, a a great concern about the next few weeks about and what's to unfold. Or not how unfold. about
1: coming up with stories for doing what you do?
5: Um, I. I'm along the same lines as as Vahe. There are some good stories out there. It's just going to precipitate us to work harder to
1: get them and to present them because I believe they are out there. Mm-hmm. Marlia Campbell, I'm wondering what is going on out there. I'm thinking for sports people, at least on the national level, thank goodness for the NFL free agent market right now because in terms of hard news, I'm not seeing a whole lot else besides that.
3: Absolutely. And, you, you know, we had the Tom Brady bombshell this morning. Uh, that certainly gave us something to write about. What but, was you know, the Tom us, Brady? We're looking a lot about.
1: Bring our, our, our yeah, listeners you know, up Tom to speed Brady there. Announcing
3: on, sure. Yeah. Tom Brady announcing this morning um, that he'll no longer be with the Patriots. Um, that came on Instagram not too long ago. Um, so I think that's certainly shaking things up a little bit. Yeah. I know for us, we're talking a lot about, you know, we talk about the stories of athletes during this time. We're looking a lot at seniors. You know, we're having conversations with not just uh, high school seniors, but college seniors about kind of the end of the careers that they had and how they were kind of robbed of a moment that was, you know, years and years in the making. Um, So every one of the athletes that was affected, you know, has a pretty heartbreaking story about, you know, not getting closure to something that they worked really hard for.
1: Well speaking of not getting closure, I mean Greg, can we make a case that the KU Jayhawks, the number 1 men's basketball team in the nation, isn't going to get closure on a season that held so much promise. A lot of people expecting an NCAA championship here. A mythical championship, A mythical we say. championship, yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean back
4: to the harkening back to the day. That's
5: yeah, right. So, uh, the, when it was common in football before the playoff and the BCS and what have you. But um, yeah, I mean they they were in a position to be the overall number one seed in this tournament, and and this was when the the madness, so to speak, was ready to begin. And then all of a sudden, it was just swept away because of the corona, you know, the, the virus. And and uh, it, it's just it's mind boggling for me to sit here and think, uh, you know, I should be on the road somewhere today covering a tournament game or getting ready to cover some tournament games, and in. It's just not there. It's...
1: How much regret, Greg, is Coach Bill Self expressing at this moment on a season again that held so much potential for that team?
5: Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a, a lot of regret, not only you know with Bill Self, but all those who felt that they had a chance just to get into the tournament, um, because I mean it, it was there for the taking, and and a lot of people thought that they were going to be part of that 68 team field. Uh besides the ones who got the automatic berths already but um you know it's it's one of those things that's out of their control and 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 they can't disagree with the decisions that have been made because it is for public health, but that's the
1: way it is and yet vahe for those players, this has got to be absolutely crushing
4: A- absolutely and and picture you know uh players like yudo Azubuke, who's i i all of his career was gonna culminate in this and He's been through so much, so many ups and downs and crazy things, and and it there's a chance to have the capstone project, for lack of a better term, on it, and that's right. And yep. that's just all just sort of faded out, and 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 just rapidly faded out. I, I I can't imagine the feeling of just this evaporation of these things for for everybody. And really, when I say that, I am thinking a lot about um, th- those seniors in general. It, it, it high school or college level all these people one thing somebody pointed this out to me the other day and this is kind of interesting way to frame it high school seniors right now are the nine one 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 babies hmm. right i mean they're they came into this world around around september 11th and their their high school careers are ending in this pandemic right I mean, it's it's a it's it's temporary let's let's assume that and this is a, a phase of their lives but um it certainly is something to think about when you picture that they're going to be deprived of things that maybe they're luxuries, um, if we look at it that way, yeah. graduation, um, proms. But those are rites of passage, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, you know, and Greg, I can't help but reflect, too, for this KU team, uh, that program up against so much controversy right now with the NCAA investigation, this was the grand distraction from sure. all that, and now that's gone. No no question. And and uh,
5: almost as part of the natural process, I'm sure a lot of this discussion now moving forward as it pertains to KU is going to be, what is the state of that investigation? Even yeah. though nothing may be determined
1: for several months, uh, that question will prevail through the next few months. Yeah. Marlia Campbell, I'm wondering about one of the seniors that maybe you've uh, profiled over in Topeka and how that individual is handling uh, this just disappointment to see a season evaporate before his or her eyes here.
3: Sure. Yeah. We talked to uh, a Goodwin, who is a track athlete at Emporia state, who's gearing up to do really well at um, nationals, uh, you know, and this was a long time in the making and he's a senior and um, granted, we actually interviewed him the day that the NCAA announced spring athletes would get some eligibility relief for the next year. So when we talked to him, you know, he thought his career was over. It turns out, uh, you know, he could be looking at another year coming up here, but, um, he was crying in the interview, you know, it hit him at the time. And this means a lot and to just I think we sometimes might forget about the sports like track and, you know, lacrosse and kind of March Madness is the center of this right now, but, um, you know, it hits everyone extremely hard. Um, hmm. so yeah, Tayshaun Goodwin was a heartbreaking interview, granted good news to come after we talked to him, but cause this is just rapidly changing every single minute it feels like but.
1: any sense marley how is he gonna handle this i mean how, how does anyone process news like this
3: you know again with the eligibility relief that is a silver lining but right you know you've worked hard for this year and this is right here in this moment um so you know every athlete we've talked to is looking at, at it the same way which is this was 100 the right decision you know i don't and no one we've talked to has argued that um, yeah obviously for the greater good of public health, but that doesn't take away how painful this moment is for, you know, something you invest your life in to have kind of suddenly taken away.
1: You know, Vahe, I think Marlia just makes a great point. You know, this notion that, you know, these athletes come along and now we've moved on to a different phase in our society. But to her point, these individuals, these folks have worked so hard and so long to get to this moment in their lives and then Puff! It's it's no small deal.
4: No small deal. And and I've been struck by the empathy, generosity, however you want to frame it, of a lot of the people that are in this position. You know, Whit Merrifield out of spring training told told reporters the other day that he gets that it's it's beyond him, well beyond him. It's not about his health. It's it's about those they could affect. And I think by and large, we've really seen that be the prevailing wave of, of how all these people in these positions have seen it, whether it's Dayton Moore, Bill Self. Bill, Bill's talked about the hurt they have, but he also has absolutely um, been conscious of the big picture. Um, I spoke the other day with Jaden Cox, who is uh, an Olympic wrestler from Columbia, Missouri, as smart and passionate and, and competitive a guy as there is. And Jaden had, I thought, fantastic perspective on this, talking about that – this is the world uniting against a, a, a common enemy mm-hmm. and that he 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 first of all hopes that that could have some staying power but the point being that that's that's the call here it's it's not about you it's about your role as a link in the chain yeah
1: well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to to up to date special coverage coronavirus in Kansas City. Uh, we're talking with some sports reporters about uh, what in the world are they covering uh, at this uh, time, given the big change in the world in their uh, individual team sports seasons. Our phone number here eight one six two three five two eight eight eight, or you can tweet us at KCUR Up to Date. Greg Ecklin, uh, Vaje just mentioned the Kansas City Royals and Whit Merrifield. Um, uh, there's some news today that the season could resume when? What, what what are you seeing out there in terms of bringing baseball back and some salvation for the rest of the world here?
5: I, I don't think a start date has been set yet. Uh, They're
1: looking I, at May, I'm seeing uh,
5: that possibly
1: for a start now?
5: Perhaps. Um, but there was no definite start date. Uh, and I also saw that, th- that there was actually no contingency plan announced as to what they'll do with the games that had been missed from early April until this possible May date that you're mentioning. Um, theres I'm sure there are a lot of considerations within the offices of Major League Baseball, but they have not announced a, any start date officially, no announced on any contingency plans. And uh, for the fans' sake uh, and that have bought tickets to regular season games, there have been no announcements on refund policies for the games that have been purchased.
1: Yeah. Barley, I'm thinking, is there a sliver of of good news here for the Kansas City Royals? I mean, maybe the team avoids another 100-loss season by all of this.
3: Yeah, guys. Maybe a small silver lining, but I'm sure you know everyone's ready to get back out there.
4: Yeah, Steve, yeah. if I can interject Please real quick, try. one one thing that that um, could play favorably for the Royals here, for instance, is they're they're still waiting for uh, Mondesi to to get healthier and and some things like that. Um, you know, it it's such a speck uh, on the on the broader landscape, um, but it, you know what? I think we're all going to have to learn to take heart in little things in some ways and yeah so if you want to think about if you are thinking about the royal season on this day where the world is shutting down that's a thing to think about yeah um and i i think if if you don't mind i'll just quick elaborate on another point that i've had in mind you know one of the things we're all gonna have to balance in in sports media and maybe media in general is this this question um it might be tone deaf to be talking about things like that Right. It might be tone deaf to get into this stuff right now with this right in our face. At the same time, I think people are going to need some relief Mm -hmm. and need some distraction. That's Right. And so one of the dilemmas we're we're talking about at the start, I'm sure it's something Greg has considered is, you know, we have things in our notebooks that might be uh, that were and are, I think, interesting things to write that were going to be written this week and next. Um, And sort of figuring out the timing of the deployment of those now if it's a different story off coronavirus right then when when do we use that and i think that's going to be an evolving situation for many news outlets
5: and this situation actually is so much different than you know when before we were even born during world war ii there was uh, a lot of rallying cries at that time from everything that i've read but all sports continued. The game of baseball continued. It was a watered down product because of the men and women who were at war at that time, but the game continued as a salvation point and something for everybody to look to as a positive. This is so different because everything has grounded to a halt. So it's mm-hmm. up to the it's up to individuals like Vahe and Marlia and others to find those stories that provide those kinds of silver linings since there are no games being played. Yeah.
1: Marlia, to that point, any sense of where you're going in the days and, and the next couple of weeks to come? Any stories that you have uh, percolating that, that you'd want to share with us?
3: Yeah, you know, it's tough day by day. As we are saying a week ago, you know, we were expecting to cover the NCAA tournament. And that kind of drastically changed day by day. So it's very much on our toes, but I know tonight we're talking to uh, the Topeka High girls basketball team, who is one of just two undefeated teams still in 6A. Um, you know, so for them, this week was a national championship, and they have seniors who, you know, in high school, you don't get an extra year of eligibility. Uh, you know, so we're talking to them tonight. Um, Just those
1: kind of stories throughout the week. Yeah. Jeff asks us on Twitter here, although a horse of a different color, the latest WWE matches without audiences have been very unique, he writes. Any chance for high-level sports being played without a crowd, Greg? Hmm. Um I think the answer is no, right, because uh, of the danger yeah. of inf- of infection.
5: I, I'm thinking that uh, I saw the last games played over the weekend when uh, the Missouri State High School basketball Ooh. tournament tried to continue, and then after they won their sectionals at Blue Springs South, uh, the, uh, the Activities Association came out with a statement yesterday that, that's it. We're shutting it down. Uh, there is no final. So I, I think I may have seen the last game played over the weekend.
1: I was going to say, Vahe, hasn't Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz, his infection, hasn't that sort of ended that conversation about any games being played at any level at any time?
4: I think so. Abruptly, starkly, you know, immediately. And I think I think uh, our our friend and colleague Bruce Arthur in Toronto wrote about uh, him as the, the accidental hero. Sort of... Uh, a little buffoonery to it in a way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and yet, not not entirely out of bounds in the sense that don't you think most people were kind of treating it as, "Ha ha, it's at a distance, not going to happen to us." And then he was kind of goofing around with it and that
1: putting his hands on reporters'
4: phones yeah, and making and, a big a, show it, of it, yeah, yep, yeah, and on teammates' things and and things like that. Kind of, you know, I, there's no excuse for what he did, except for there is an excuse for what he did. He didn't get it yeah right <laughs> and and I think uh, it oddly enough again was one of those quirky kind of rotten things that actually in the end is going to be shown to have been a helpful helpful thing because it absolutely was the catalyst for the nBA
1: and for the record he's made a big donation now I think on behalf of testing or something he, sort of he, to atone for his he, his sins here in a way he
4: has I think something yeah. like five hundred thousand dollars and I think he's been also uh out there as a sort of public face of this and I You know, I applaud him for that. It'd be easy to do it differently after after that. Right. We've seen people go into shells when they've uh, done something they regret. Yeah.
1: So at the end of the day, Marlia, do you think this is all going to result in uh, a greater appreciation in our society for sports and what sports bring us as, as a result, as a consequence of not being able to access sports right now?
3: For sure. You know, I mean, they say you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And I don't think any of us kind of obviously saw this coming. Um, But I think it is, to Greg's point, you know, we've never really had this moment where uh, this is totally kind of taken away. Um, And sports is what brings us all together. And to kind of lose this is tough. But again, to Greg's point, you know, sharing those stories and making sure we have sports kind of in a different outlet, um, I think it's critical during this time.
1: Greg?
5: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think, um, uh, as I'll repeat what I had said earlier, this, this, the stories are out there. Uh, there are plenty of stories to be told. Uh, Vahe's been someone who's been uh, involved in Olympic coverage, and I think of the impact this that this has on uh, those athletes who are trying for something uh, a, a moment of glory once every four years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this is the time that they're training for it. And a lot of the training for Olympic Games have been shut down. And, and so that's been thrown off the rails. So um, there, there are still a lot of things to be determined. We've already had the Masters called off. The PGA Championship's been moved up to the month of May. That may be called off. The Kentucky Derby has already been called off. The NFL says it's still going to have the draft in Las Vegas. But But without an audience. But without an audience and all the public events in conjunction with that. We're going to have that here in Kansas City in a few years. And I know members of the Kansas City Sports Commission wanted to go to Las Vegas to observe what was going on but there's not going to be
1: much to observe out there. Marlee, I'm wondering how coronavirus has changed or at least affected how you do your job every day. Has it at all or or any, any personnel changes at the station? Any different way you go about reporting your stories?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're going day by day, just being really careful with, we have a lot of equipment that we share. Obviously, being a TV station, we have tripods and microphones and cameras, so we're being very careful about wiping stuff down, you know, wiping our keyboards down, we share station cars. Um, so we're being extremely careful. And again, those conversations are being had day by day because a couple of days ago looked a lot different than it does now. Um, so we're continuing, you know, to take those close measures, but it's tough doing a job where a large part of it is, you know, going out and doing interviews and getting out in the community and stuff. Um, so we're scaling back and we're taking that away. You know, we're not doing in-person stuff and um, it's, it's a challenging time and it's changing the way we do things a lot
1: hey what are you seeing out there how's it how's it changing your world
4: well it's interesting I've, I've still got a couple in-person things lined up um, and I don't know if when I leave the studio if the, those people will change their minds um, I feel like my understanding of this which could be uh, not not a clear enough understanding is that if I indeed keep the social distance and do something I hate doing which is not shaking hands and and, mm-hmm. and such that it's it's okay to do it um, I may be wrong. I may be hearing from uh, the World Health Organization and the CDC immediately after I make these comments, but or, or Mayor Lucas if he's listening. Um, yeah. So, but but that that's the approach I'm taking, um, uh, and, and until I'm told otherwise, until I'm until it's insisted otherwise, or something kicks in that tells me, oh, you're just so wrong on this. So, and I, I guess the real point of that is also others so far are willing to do it. One person though, I'm trying to, uh, I'm not trying to be secretive, but I'm just not sure if it's going to work out um said he had to check with uh his the, the medical authorities before he could um say yes wow. to me coming to see him so mm-hmm. or him coming to see us so that that's the kind of thing that's up in the air right now yeah how about you greg uh
5: same boat um i i'm supposed to talk with an individual here shortly and we're going to do it by phone because there are a lot of offices around town that are also closed and people are working remotely and um it's it's i would prefer to be in person and do the interview in person and have the eye contact and and uh, and talk to that individual but With respect to their position, uh, I'm doing probably more phone interviews than I normally wish to do at this time.
1: Hmm. Um, We haven't talked about the Kansas City Chiefs here, and one of the big questions is, will the Chiefs sign quarterback Pat Mahomes to that huge contract this offseason, or is that going to wind up uh, waiting for whatever reason? Vahe, any sense of what the latest thinking there is?
4: Well, my sense is that... um, they're eager to everybody's eager to get it done but nobody has to jump at it Uh, there's there's time Um, my sense also is that uh, to whatever degree they have been allowed to or not allowed to uh, you know get on this case it's been going on behind the scenes for months I don't Mm -hmm. think it's like okay now now you can start working on it Um, clearly it's in the chief's best interest it's in Patrick's best interests the the passing of the collective bargaining agreement I think clears the way also um, so I, I, I certainly would not expect it to happen within a, a week or two, but I, I, I'd be surprised if it goes uh, more than a couple more months. Yeah.
1: Okay, we're going to leave our conversation there. That was the voice of Vahe Gregorian, a sports columnist for the Kansas City Star. Marlia Campbell, sports director for WIBW-TV, joined us via Skype from her home in Topeka. Also with us again, Greg Eklund, cover sports for KCUR. Thank you all very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Keep Pete. going. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. Well Thank Gina you. Gina Kaufman just joined us here in the studio to preview what's coming up in her half of the show today. Gina, good morning.
6: Hi Steve. Yeah, the digital divide is on our agenda. In light of schools and businesses closing, the internet is serving as a real lifeline, and we are thinking about all those families without access to that lifeline at home.
1: Okay, now's the time to start calling 816-235-2888 with your personal concerns about just that, staying connected while everything else is shut down. 816-235-2888. And just a quick note, tomorrow on the show, we open up the phone lines, and we'll be taking your questions about this very fast-moving story with a panel of experts aimed at answering them. That's tomorrow on KCUR's Up to Date. I'm Steve Kraske and you're listening to Up to Date and special coverage coronavirus in Kansas City.
6: I'm Gina Kaufman, bringing you the second half of up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in KC. Steve Kraske and I are bringing this live coverage to you every weekday from 9 to 10 a.m. It is Tuesday, March 17th. St. Patrick's Day parades are off. Schools are closed. Workplaces are closed. Gatherings of more than 10 people are now banned in KC Moe and KCK. We've all been urged to stay home. That means telecommuting, online schoolwork, virtual hanging out, and Netflix galore if you have internet connectivity in your home. Those who don't have the gadgetry and internet access they need to get through this are missing a vital lifeline that's what we're talking about now. Call 816-235-2888 to join the conversation. We'll be taking those calls as we go. 816-235-2888. My in-studio guests are Tom Esselman of Connecting for Good, a nonprofit that does a lot of work on closing the digital divide. They are doing what they can to provide resources to Kansas Cityans now more than ever. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Katie Booty is with us as well. She's here from the Lean Lab, an education think tank in Kansas City. She's going to bring perspective on what this means for access to education in particular. Something to consider on this first day of no school for 14 metro districts per the emergency measures Mayor Lucas issued yesterday evening. Katie, hello. Hello.
0: Good morning.
6: So that's a mouthful of news, guys. Um, We are going to be hearing from a national guest very shortly, but let's start with Kansas City. Katie, what do we know about the school closures, first of all?
0: Yeah. Well, you uh, many of you saw the announcement late yesterday that we are officially out of school until April 3rd, with school uh, resuming the Monday of April 5th, is what we know for right now.
6: Is access to online learning across economic and racial divides something that education insiders like yourself are talking about right now? Yes, very much so. Uh, we've had the The pleasure of being able to connect
0: with uh, multiple school administrators over the last few days, and the primary concern is how do we assess what the tech needs are at home to move to remote learning, as well as just access to basic social services, Um, food insecurity, home insecurity, those types of things are of top concern.
6: Is there like a plan to address it, or is that evolving? (laughs)
0: Um, That's evolving. I mean, I think something that we've talked about on the show before is what something that's unique about Kansas City is how fragmented our local public. School landscape is. We have 14 public school districts and 20 plus charter schools just in Kansas City, Missouri boundaries alone. That means that we have. And that's not
6: even taking the private schools into account. That's not. That's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And each
0: one of those school systems has their own board, their own superintendent, their own protocols, their own procedures, and their own um, differing resources when it comes to access to technology and basic infrastructure. So that means you have the potential for a lot of duplicative efforts. That means we have some lack of coordination. But ultimately, what's really challenging right now is that means that we have some that are really shining stars that have been really proactive and have great plans and some that are just now assessing the needs of their school communities um, so there's disparity there, and we're trying to figure out how do we work smarter and share what's working, what's worked really great for some school districts with others that um, are in need right now.
6: I'm hearing that some school districts with individual laptops for students in the classroom are considering, send, were considering sending those home, but some really couldn't do that because they often have like a cart stocked with lots of laptops and one charger.
0: Yeah, what we heard, um, quite frankly, what I heard from several administrators yesterday in a Zoom call that we had was um, you know, some school districts, of Shawnee Mission, several other um, school districts around and, and like Missouri side as well sent kids proactively home with a tech stack at the end of uh, before spring break because remember this this week is spring break so kids were not anticipated to be in school but just proactively school districts that could said hey here are some tech resources let us know if you need a hot spot we're ready to go. However some schools didn't know what was going to happen and what we heard is that they also don't they don't have a running assessment of what tech looks like at home for a family so we're needing to assess very quickly what schools have internet connectivity at home or not. Charter schools and other schools that are one-to-one actually haven't rolled out what it means to take those technology tools home. So there's also a question of just basic protocol. You know, what does it mean if there's one charger? What does it mean to make sure families are really equipped? If they take the laptop or iPad home, do they have connectivity? Um, do we have just a basic, integrate? are we using an integrated software system so kids can understand, you know, um, have a centralized place to get resources, so on and so forth. So those are kind of questions that people are asking.
6: What about teachers? Because that's not a profession known for hefty paychecks. Uh, okay. Are they equipped to teach online from home, um, by and large?
0: I mean, it's a mixed bag again. Some have been doing this for for months. There are a lot of uh, what we are grateful for is that internationally, um, many teachers have been teaching remotely for for quite some a few weeks now so and and teachers are great um, community builders so there's a lot of facebook pages a lot of twitter threads of teachers sharing resources youtube videos of what they've done websites of what they've done so on and so forth um however i mean i i would say that the what happened was most schools told teachers to prepare packets to go home so you have a lot of like just put together as many resources and lesson plans as you can, worksheets, et cetera, in lieu of not knowing what's going to happen digitally and push those out. Um, I think educators um, are just now... I mean, the announcement came yesterday for everybody, right? So (laughs) there is a a lot of unknowns of just what do we do with that? They knew it was a possibility, but now that it's becoming real and and for how long, you know, is this three weeks that I'm figuring out or two weeks that I'm figuring out or is this eight? Is this the new normal? You know, there's a lot of that ambiguity that folks are reconciling.
6: Okay, Katie Booty, stick with me. We're going to turn now to Tom Esselman. Tom, what are you most concerned about expanding beyond education?
7: Well, this has really been an interesting time for us. The uh, topic there, the, the, um, the uh, I guess, word that we use to describe this situation for the last eight years is we call it digital inclusion, making sure uh, people who te- typically lack access to tech get access to it. That's not been a very popular or well-understood topic. And now all of a sudden it's in the spotlight. Um, So Connecting for Good has been around to make sure that communities that lack access get affordable internet, computers, and digital skills to use them. Um, And we can only achieve that by being part of a larger network of support resources. So there actually is a group that's been around Kansas City for five years. It's the Kansas City Coalition for Digital Inclusion. It's headed up by the public library, uh, and it includes a, a broad array of resources that are typically available for people who don't have internet at home. Right now, with gatherings being prohibited, even the library branches being closed, Connecting for Good has stepped up its effort to make available resources for families that need to get affordable Internet computers and digital yeah, skills.
6: Tell me about some of what you're doing. I've seen some of the planned programming, although I, I'm not sure how the the gatherings needing to be smaller than 10 is affecting those plans. But you had some some things planned even for today.
7: Right. We've already adjusted our plans for today. Uh, Basically, we have two sites in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, one at the Linwood campus at 71 Highway and Linwood Boulevard, and the other at our warehouse in the West Bottoms. And in both cases, we will provide discounted Wi-Fi hotspots, free and low-cost computers, but we're doing it by appointment only. Uh, And you would just simply need to go to our website in, or email us at info at connectingforgood.org or call us at 816-559-7077, and I'll provide this later too if I have an opportunity. But also you can go on the digitalinclusionkc.org org website. That's digitalinclusionkc.org.
6: I mean, the irony here is that if you have this problem, you might not be able to go get on that that website or send that email.
7: Well, what we're looking for is both people who have resources to provide, because I think the key thing is here, thanks to shows like this, we're actually, ironically, able to generate much greater awareness of this issue than when there's not a crisis. So if you have resources to provide, examples, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, Google Fiber, uh, Greater Kansas City LISC, they've all contacted us to provide helpful resources to make uh, Uh, devices and internet access more available. If you are uh, a neighborhood association or a church group or uh, work with groups that have Wi-Fi enabled buildings, making those spaces available, albeit in a cautious and safe way, is still the type of outreach we need to do to provide help at a time when a lot of families both need and lack the access.
6: So jumping in just to say that the White House is holding its latest briefing on coronavirus this morning, KCUR will provide NPR's live special coverage beginning at 10.30. That's at 10.30 this morning. We're going to continue this conversation right now about the digital divide in Kansas City and how that is affecting people maybe more profoundly than usual, but not necessarily differently than usual here in Kansas City during the coronavirus um, issue. Tom, there have been some emergency measures put in place to get people connected even if they can't afford it. Tell me about those.
7: Well, first of all, it starts with the major internet service providers, the ISPs. Great example is Spectrum. Um, Right now, if you have a student living at home, you can call Spectrum. Uh, I don't have their number right offhand, and they'll provide free internet access for you at home. Um, If you don't have a Computer device to take advantage of that. That's hopefully where we come in. Um, uh, either of our two locations, we have uh, 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 desktop computers that are equipped with the Linux operating system. We give away five of those free each day, and other you desktop. give away
6: five computers a day.
7: Yep. And uh, uh, anything with Windows operating system, Windows 10, um, depending on the speed and memory, are priced between $30, $50, or $100. And laptops are also $100. Uh, We we also give away three laptops each week. Um, We've got... The, a, a growing capacity to do that. Um, last year we were able to acquire the old surplus exchange warehouse in the West Bottoms, so we also do electronics recycling for people and organizations who donate computer equipment to us.
6: You know, I, I wanna ask, just getting back to the emergency measures put in place by major internet companies, I've heard that in the fine print there are caveats about households with outstanding balances uh, Owed to these companies, not being, um, not not being not qualifying for these services, is that correct? Uh,
7: It would be hard for me to answer that in a broad, sweeping way because it does vary by provider. Um, uh, In the Kansas City region, in particular, AT and T, Spectrum, uh, are the two largest providers. They do have different programs and different conditions. Uh, I don't want to speak directly for each of them. Um, Google Fiber has been a real champion for digital inclusion in uh, the greater Kansas City area for eight years. Um, I would just urge anyone to reach out directly to those companies. Let them know your situation. And uh, right now, in particular, all of those organizations are doing whatever they can to help.
6: There's more to the digital divide than technical access, though. There's a significant hurdle in um, that that's literacy. Can you talk about that piece of it?
7: Sure again being part of a coalition groups like Literacy KC and the um, Public Library go out of their way to blend and as does Connecting for Good to blend the idea of technology access with the importance of having a kind of a open and warm and welcoming approach to teaching people who don't even know sometimes how to use a mouse or the difference between different keystrokes um, on a keyboard. So, uh, so we really take seriously the term digital literacy uh, as it pertains to just the importance of giving people an on-ramp to being technically literate.
6: What are the cultural factors that create such a disparity when it comes to digital literacy? Because um, I will just acknowledge that in the communities I personally travel in, this is a kind of literacy that many take for granted. But I, I do understand that that's not the case across
3: the board
7: if you if you grow up in areas and back up real quick you hear the term digital divide oftentimes and across the country more often than not that refers to rural areas that are just separated by large geographic distances but in urban areas the digital divide usually has to do with racial and economic lines um, areas where uh, households just simply have not been able to afford access to home broadband. And so their experience being on the internet is usually with a, a cell phone or smartphone with limited data. So when it comes to doing resumes and school reports and uh, working with greater data, that's kind of hard to do on a smartphone. So now when, when you're forced to do all your work and your schooling remotely, it really calls out the need for not only broadband internet, but a device, a laptop or a desktop computer system.
6: I want to turn to Linda Poon for more on that. She's a staff writer for CityLab, and she's written quite recently that we have underestimated the number of Americans who are without Internet access. So this is a national issue as well as a local one. Linda, hello.
8: Hi. How are you guys?
6: Pretty good. Um, You say there are more Americans on the other side of the digital divide than we once thought. Can you explain what you mean by
8: that? Yeah, so my, my story was basically about a um, report by um, Broadband Now, which works with internet service providers. And they basically came up with a reporter that says, um, the figures of Americans who lack high-speed internet access, it's double what the FCC um, says. So the Federal commission, the Federal Communications Commission says 21 million Americans, um, according to this report, um, 21- a million Americans lack broadband access, but when they sort of uh, cross-tracked that with um, a sample of Internet service providers um, and a sample of addresses, their conclusion was that actually the number may be as high as 42 million. Um, so there's that's, that's a lot of underestimation by the, um, the federal government. What accounts for that underestimation? Yeah, so wow. the way the federal communications a uh, commission sort of counts that number is for something called four, Form 477, which basically internet service providers um, self-report where they provide access and where they don't. And the problem with that is that these providers can say they provide access to an entire census track if they pro- provide access to one house in that census track, which in a sense, you know it. it, it sort of makes sense in in like an urban landscape, right? Where houses are densely packed together, but in rural areas that becomes an even larger problem because, because houses are spread apart. So while you have one house that's able to get wire access, a house next door, maybe a couple miles away don't. Um, And so you're miscounting a lot of people, or you're undercounting a lot of people.
6: You are also, like Tom, dispelling the myth that this is a rural versus urban issue. You wrote this article pretty recently, but things have evolved fast with COVID-19, and that really wasn't part of the article. And I'm curious about that urban-rural myth, first of all, and then how how COVID-19 and urban environments combined with this gap in digital access like what does that particular storm look like to you
8: yeah so about the myth it, it's really easy to understand why people think of it as such a rural problem um, but as Tom said it is an urban problem as well um, and in fact one study by the Brooklyn Institute actually found that more people in urban areas have lack access um, to broad broadband compared to rural, but they really stress that it's not a rural versus versus urban problem. It's on both sides. So what that means is that, especially with um, business shutting down and school closures, you have students in cities who don't have access to um, cities like New York, the largest, which has the largest public school system, who don't have access to a computer, um, and they should not be overlooked. Um, And at the same time, As rural areas also shut down schools, it's going to be a problem for the residents there.
6: Katie Booty, jump in here because you've been listening for a while. And I wonder what you think of what you're hearing through the lens of the education landscape in Kansas City. In terms of connectivity. Yeah.
8: Well,
0: I mean, the thing, the scariest thing is that we just don't know. Like, what I was talking to schools and what we're trying to work on right now is putting together and partnering with others, um, like the library and Connecting for Good, to put together an assessment for educators to actually understand the level of connectivity and school homes. What I heard from multiple administrators yesterday is that we need to have individual conversations with each family to understand exactly what's going on. Wow, but that is a lot of families. It's a lot of families. And there's also a need, like to Tom's point, we do have... Uh, the thing is that we do have access to resources. Spectrum's offering these resources, Connecting for Good has devices. The library has multiple connectivity options, but we don't have a cohesive way to distribute, and we don't have a cohesive way
6: to assess what the need actually is. You know, something that comes to mind for me that we've talked about on this show before, covered a lot on this station, is that attendance is a particular issue in Kansas City's public schools. And not only attendance, but um, what they call churn, where even just like, a min- What might seem like a minor in comparison to a pandemic disruption in a family's life uh, can cause a student to really fall through the cracks in the system and fall off the face of the map in some ways. Yeah. Are you worried about that here? Yeah, actually, that was one of the first concerns. that.
0: Was. So we opened up a, a, a educator forum on our website and um, have been getting inbound requests, and that was one of the first ones that came in. Um, the, the state has said, okay, hey, we're going to be really flexible and offer a moratorium in terms of attendance. Many may not know this. Schools actually get paid per what's called average daily attendance, or ADA. So they actually receive their funding based on how many children are actually going to school every single day and how they quantify that. Now, obviously, this is an unprecedented time. So the state is giving a lot of flexibility around that. And has already said that they're removing the attendance requirement from um, APR, which is the annual way schools are assessed for their accreditation. Um, that being said, um, I mean, I was on this phone with a school administrator yesterday that was like, but it's still important to know if kids are actually logging in and getting access to these remote learning tools do we there are ways that the state and other and other states before us have advised on taking digital attendance um, internationally schools have had like mandated login times like we need to see that you're logged in to your student through your student ID by 830 in the morning but there really is that it's a it's not required here in the state of Missouri B. We don't really know how that functionally actually looks like, so yes, we can ask all kids to try to connect via seesaw or some device by or some platform by. a.m. but if we don't know if they have internet if we don't know what kind of devices they have at home if we don't know the level of interaction engagement the availability of their parents to be monitoring that or that
6: (laughs) digital literacy piece of that for their parents right it's really
0: it's really scary because I do think there's an opportunity for this to perpetuate inequities um what we do know I was doing some deep diving um on just pandemic, the impact of prior pandemics on learning outcomes for kids and not to be alarmist. But what we do know about the Spanish flu is that it did cause like a gener- generational dip of children that were had lower educational t- uh, attainment and that had um, social economic impacts for an entire generation. So, so we know that this is true. We know it's important that we have kids equipped with educational materials, that it's important to assess how Frequently, they're able to engage with those, but the actual coordinated effort to make sure that that can happen coherently um, and in a coordinated way uh, is really challenging.
6: This is also some something that occurs to me is that if students are, you know, if there's some sort of trauma in a community, there's disparity in this too. But schools generally try to provide emotional support immediately mm-hmm. at school via mm-hmm. counselors, etc. Um, this could be very traumatic for many students and that safety net for them isn't there. Mm-hmm. Has there been talk about that? Or is that just I mean, getting too far past that logistical no, piece? I mean,
0: it is. I mean, that's just period when school's and session, social-emotional learning resources um, and a way to combat trauma is one of our highest needs in this region, if not nationwide. Um, now compound that with, what's going on right now um you know we've tried our best like i said we've been curating tools on our website we have a a resource list part we do have a section for social emotional learning tools and there's just there's a dearth of real um dynamic social emotional tools that are can let alone can go remote and help families navigate this um you know that's just where we're at but again i do think there's an opportunity for us to find some sort of coordinated effort to come together as school system leaders as nonprofit providers and say, how do we share what we know does work um, quickly, efficiently and, and figure out ways to distribute?
6: There Could there be a developmental gap when you're looking at um, older students who might have more ability to self-direct because the kind of learning they do in the classroom might be a little bit more like there's a lecture, I'm taking my notes. Mm-hmm. Whereas younger kids I have a very small child at home and he's not school age yet, but he's not far. And it's just hard to imagine him two years from now being able to sit himself down in front of a computer and sit still and all of those things.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, here's the thing it's like we know that even the best educational technology tools does not replace human connection and instruction right i mean it just doesn't um and the biggest one of the biggest things i heard universally from school administrators yesterday was exactly that like there's a big difference between my k3 kiddos and my grades 4 and beyond kiddos who can sit down take instruction take notes read potential like you know like self direct um versus our very our littles who you know Need a lot more interaction um, in their learning environment. So, so that's a and that's a key concern. But I think again, it's like how do we if we can find ways to communicate with families, to share best practices, to understand what the need is on home, then we can begin creating
6: interventions that are more dynamic. Tom Esselman of Connecting for Good. I want to come back to you, and just in case we have some listeners who have joined this conversation since the last time you shared it, where can Kansas Cityans turn for help getting access to the the computers, laptops, gadgets that they need, and sure. also help with internet connectivity in their homes right now?
7: Right, right. So affordable internet, um, free and low cost computers and uh, mentoring and digital skills help you can find by going to connectingforgood.org's website you can email us at info at connectingforgood.org you could visit either of our two sites uh, 3210 michigan avenue in kansas city missouri or 518 santa fe in the west bottoms Uh, and most importantly we're urging Anyone, if you have resources to offer or if you have questions about things that you need, go to digitalinclusionkc.org. Or
6: ask a friend to do it for you. Or
7: ask a friend to do it for you. you, um, I know it's all Um, web-based. If you know someone who is in need... Make sure that you direct them to one of our sites or just have them call us at 816-559-7077.
6: Our time is up. Tom Esselman and Katie Booty, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thanks Linda, so much. Linda Poon of City Lab, thanks for making yourself available as well. Thank you. Tom Esselman joined us from Connecting for Good and Katie Booty joined us from the Lean Lab. I'm Gina Kaufman, Steve Kraske, and I will be here again tomorrow at 9. With up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in KC, you can stay on top of all the news between now and then by listening to this station or checking out our coronavirus blog, kcur.org. The reporters are here updating that in real time. Be safe every